Welcome, everyone. Um, for those of you who've been listening to my podcast or um, paying attention to my YouTube channel, you probably noticed um, I haven't done any interviews before. So, uh, I mean, I've been interviewed on other people's podcasts, but actually I decided, uh, hey, why not? I got a lot of uh, great colleagues and friends around me. Um, why am I not uh, talking to some of them who I think are doing uh, who I think are doing awesome and incredible work? So, with that said, uh, uh, I want to introduce uh, my good friend Lama Karma. Um, we're going to chat today about uh, both his Dharma work uh, as a Dharma teacher and and especially his work with Anuma. Um, Anuma uh, on the website uh, it says Anuma is a, a digital. Um, it it offers digital group therapeutics combining virtual reality with the science of psychedelics, investing the future of authentic human connection, sorry, inventing the future of authentic human connection to address the global mental health crisis. So welcome, Lama Karma. Uh, it's really nice to see you. It's just as a friend, it's nice to see you after a while too. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, and thanks for inviting me. And it's always, we have a, a genuine heart connection, um, you know, as Dharma brothers and also through our teachers and lineages and um, you know, it's uh, it, it, it was great to finally find you in this life uh, and I look <laughs> forward to whatever we're, we're doing from this point. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Beautiful way to put it. Yeah, totally, man. Same, same for my end. Um, Dharma brother for life or lives as mm. <laughs> probably is more realistic. <laughs> Depending on your frame of reference. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I thought to start off talking, you know, um just introducing you to to you know I, I did a brief introduction but lama karma is a is a uh you know a, a dharma teacher in his own right um he was able to complete two three retreats at what's now uh palpung tukten Choling, right uh yep. in upstate new york and uh how long have you you've been teaching dharma for quite a long time yeah yeah since i came out of that second retreat uh in 2011 okay and also, Lama Karma um, is uh, the the head, or I don't know the title. You're the head of a, a, a retreat center in in Tennessee, uh, Millerapa Choingzong, right? Uh, yeah, we just call it Millerapa Retreat Center because of awkward Tibetan acronyms and things. So yeah, Millerapa Retreat Center uh, in the in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. Cool. So maybe if we have some time, we we can get into that too. Um, yeah. And you're and you're currently living in in upstate New York, right? Yeah, so we split our time between here in I'm in Socrates, Woodstock area, and then in Tennessee. Yeah. Cool. So other than Lama Karma being an awesome dude <laughs> and friend, um, like I said, the reason I wanted to have him on uh, for my very first interview, actually, he was one of the first people I thought of, was just because of some of the awesome work he's doing, both, of course, as a as a Buddhist teacher and meditation teacher, but also, um, as I said, with, with Anuma. Um, so... So, kind of in in your words, Lama Karma, what what is Anuma? Um, I, I think when we were initially, uh, just for the audience here, um, Lama Karma has been asking me many times, "Hey, you should try this," and uh, you know, I'm like, I don't have a VR headset, you know, a virtual reality headset. He's like, "Oh, you can get one easily," and I'm just kind of like, oh, "Okay," and I'm kind of not not so serious about it. So, unfortunately, I haven't tried it. So, so that was kind of my first uh, thing to kick off our combo. Was uh, I'm curious, like how you would describe Anuma to, to an outsider who hasn't done it before, like me, and maybe someone who does meditate, um, you know, already, uh, uh, like me. So, so yeah, I'd be curious what you have to say about that. Sure, yeah. Um, 
I love that you read that from the website because it makes me cringe, right? So this, uh, (laughs) whenever, you know, whether it's Mark Zuckerberg himself uh, talking about the the inevitable future of the the metaverse uh, and the world of virtual reality and uh, how many promises it it gives, uh, whatever else, uh, or the you know this wild world of psychedelics, uh, much of which is really you know beneficial and and re- truly helping people, whether you know at end of life or for um, you know PTSD and just other relational issues. Many there's many you know applications that are actually really driving benefit. But you and I being in spiritual communities, uh, when you when you sort of mix these streams with spiritual path it's very dubious and so i uh i applaud anybody who at when you read that was like oh no what are we getting into here (laughs) so a little bit again if you want and we can just (laughs) a little bit of a you know uh you know preamble there um yeah at the same time now it's happening and um there are not to oversell you know, this idea of a metaverse or multiverse or, you know, this idea that we are now as humans approaching the the point at which we can um, represent our reality in a, 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 a new, more fully immersive way. You know, so representation is something that, or mimesis, you know, something that humans have done since forever. And whether it's spoken language or written language, or visual representation, um, all the way up to what's happening now. You know that that's what we do, um, and the Dharma is right there with it. You know, it's the spoken Dharma, the written Dharma, the visual Dharma. It's all part of the Dharma, um, yeah. and these are you know they they are potentially skillful means. So on one hand, it's it's potentially leads to further delusion and so forth. And on the other, it's uh, potentially skillful means. And so the short of it is how, uh, given that virtual reality is happening now, then we can maybe stick to that. What's the yeah. best way of doing it? Like, how do we, um, how do we, how do we bring the Dharma into it uh, more in, a, in most pointedly, but how can we make it beneficial, you know, in, in a general sense? So Anuma is, an attempt, and the way that I usually talk about it, it's uh, uh, it's, it's a, a group of collaborators, a company uh, that is devoted to uh, creating a sacred experience in virtual reality, um, and uh, everything that that entails, including you know, connection, interpersonal connection, uh, transformation on some level of of view, uh, opening of the heart, you know, uh, truly beneficial sacred experience um so that's the vision that's the goal and the motivation and, and then you know we, we've we've done many things uh, along those lines with that inspiration yeah beautiful yeah i think this is kind of how um i was thinking of our conversation too because you know i i was thinking you know and and i don't like to generalize too much but i think in, in the modern western world at least and, and in my experience growing up in the united states um, so I could just speak for someone coming from the United States, maybe even though I live in Colombia uh, and Mexico these days between those two countries. Um, you know, I, I think we're in a crisis of connection. So that was kind of one of my uh, first thoughts is like, you know, 
you know, and a lot of that is is technology. It seems like it's it's making it worse sometimes. You know, it seems like social. You know, ironically, social media is called social, but it actually can create more isolation um, and less social connection. Or we, maybe we could say like less embodied social connection. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of one of one of the things I've been skeptical about 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 VR and and you know whatever the metaverse is because I don't think we no one exactly knows exactly you know what the metaverse is going to be I think it's just sort of the lots of ideas and people trying different things um, so so just curious how Enuma I mean you stated it a little bit but you know if there's more detail on like how you see that from the perspective of Enuma especially in kind of what you're offering through it that that sort of tension between connection and disconnection. Yeah, because yeah, I think yeah. I think it's sort of yeah, like yeah, for sure. you named it. It's like how do we use? I mean, maybe I'll start with a premise that I I kind of you know my mind has changed over time on these kinds of issues, and I'm sure it'll change more over time. I I I never try to stay static and sort of like oh I believe this. I'm always watching, but you know I was reading uh, um, uh, some material. I'm I'm really you know I go through phases with Chogim Trungpa Rinpoche, and and I'm in a big Chogim Trungpa Rinpoche kind of reading uh, phase right now, and. Uh, you know, he was saying um, it's very naive to think we can like go back to kind of primitive human culture. And he was saying there's a lot of good things about more primitive tribal living, earth living, etc. And he was like, but he was also very realistic in his opinion was we can't, we're not going to go back to that. And so we have to learn. To, he he called it, I'm paraphrasing, but it, it's pretty close to what he was saying. We have to learn to work with the machines and we have to learn to integrate Dharma with the machines. And I thought, wow, I mean, it, it, so there's a lot to say around that, uh, but but I want to hear more from you. Um, yeah. So just with that premise, kind of like, how do you see mm-hmm. that, you know, and, and what, so, are you, what are you guys doing to work on that? When, the first thing that comes up is, it, it might seem tangential, but um, there's a, a great book called The Spell of the Sensuous by David Abrams. And he talks about how um, early on Plato was so... Um, suspicious of writing like something mm. we take you know, like so totally for granted and he's saying you know this is probably not a good idea um and and abrams does this amazing sort of weaving of a story where showing how coincidentally perhaps but probably not um at the time that we as humans learn to represent our reality in the written word there was a a loss of the uh, animistic sensibility, the the sense mm. that the world is alive, that rocks, trees, plants, everything is alive, uh, and you might argue that well, actually, you can create poetry and reimbue these things with life, and so you know, there's there's always going to be these flip sides, and as you know, as, as in the context of Dharma, it's not about being optimistic or pessimistic about what is developing. Uh, it's about being skillful and and uh, actually intervening with the proper view and motivation. And so, same thing here. It's like okay, now in, in virtual reality, we can um, immerse ourselves into what what is amounts to, in many ways, a lucid dream, where we can um, make ma- mind manifest which is kind of the, the um, etymology of psychedelic mind manifesting. You know, your thoughts can manifest uh, in different ways. And that hasn't been done before. Um, not only that, but we can also um, 
bring people together from different ge- geographical locations, not just through Zoom, but in in uh, an a felt experience. And again, not in the metaverse way where we can now do business around a, a table from corners of the world, uh, but rather we can feel one another and exchange meaningful um, uh, prayer, basically. We can pray for one another. We can hold sacred space for one another. Um, and that, you know, the, other than in the kind of psychic domain, that hasn't really been possible uh, for normal people. Right? And so that's, yeah. it's really huge. And not only that, but we can, we can occupy the same physical space, uh, which is a real, you know, a friend of mine who is one of the main developers, you know, coined this new phenomenological thing called coalescence where you and your your energy body and my energy body can uh intermingle in such a way that there is a felt experience of of union um mm. in some way and so there there are, are new advantages to all of this for sure um and at the same time there's going to be a flip side you know there 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 is a, a dark side to all of this uh material it's reliance on well, Facebook for one, you know, we're using primarily Meta uh, as a platform. Um, okay. And then everything that uh, goes along with that, uh, which maybe we are uh, a Trojan horse for, hopefully in some way, but also, um, you know, the way that the the reliance on rare earth metals and whatever else, and there's lots of critiques that you can level about this. But, but fundamentally, I think the main risk um, and that connection, disconnection, uh, tension is what is the extent to which when using this new technology, we are actually uh, reinscribing uh, the basis of samsaric habit? What, mm-hmm. what is the extent to which we're actually um, intensifying dualistic experience? Um, and what is the extent to which we are actually pointing to the root of confusion uh, by means of this technology, and mm. that is that makes all the difference. Having that question in mind, and there, through through the development, we've come up with a, a number of uh, similar tensions that echo one another uh, along those lines that that really make it clear: is this, you know, we internally we just call it uh, VR versus shitty VR, and but you might. Yeah, <laughs> but externally, you might say, you know, um, VR one versus VR two. One scholar has sure. put it, um, but you know, there's a distinction to be made uh, in what is beneficial, uh, and and especially from the Dharma point of view, which I think goes much deeper. What is pointing at the truth, uh, and what is uh, actually reinscribing delusion and intensifying the causes of samsara? So, you know, that's it. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, you know, just just briefly, well, ho- hopefully briefly, uh, you and I could probably go on a long tangent about this. You know, I think generally this is one of the things missing from the conversation around um, uh, the, the meditation world in general. Like, like, let's just say the greater market of meditation is is what is the what are we actually trying to accomplish? Like, like is is meditation what is meditation serving? And I think a lot of the times that's not talked about, or that's, that's, you know, there's, there's a limiting belief around what that can serve. Or, you know, I think if people understand at least partly what the depths 
you know, maybe they understand some people, the depths of it, and then they choose one, one, one way to serve through it. And I, I don't think that's necessarily, there's a problem with that, but I do think, um, you know, this idea for us, cause you know, being in, in both long-term practitioners in Tibetan Buddhism, you know, this idea of view, what we call view in, in, in Tibetan Buddhism, um, you know, what are we trying to get used to? Um, what are we, what are we bringing about through meditation? So, so actually meditation is much less about the technique for us. And, and it's more, it's more a tool in service of actually transforming or, or shifting our perspective, uh, into, um, you know, I guess in one way at first it looks like a religious view. I mean, for me, it did 20 years ago and now it doesn't, <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh yeah, that's like, cause we start to peek through to the other side of like, well, reality isn't the way I'm perceiving it all the time. And we start to see, well, well, there is something that can unfold. Uh, that that maybe is more natural and and less diluted and less and less suffering. Um, mm -hmm. So, so you know, I think that's really great. You guys are thinking about that in relation to VR, in relation to Anuma and, and the products you're 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 developing, because it, it it's you know again, I think already I, I would say like that that makes a huge difference to me because it shows VR is the tool, and then you know. And then, of course, what you're offering through it, but but there's there's a view you're trying to get, and so so I guess you know I'd love to hear your thoughts on that if you have any. Uh, you kind of already spoke on it, but also I kind of want to hear like my second question would be what, why VR? You said a little bit about it, but like like mm -hmm. do you think VR is particularly apt at maybe a method for 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 what you're trying to the view you're trying to bring about through it? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. The so the first part is a bit. Um, a larger question for sure um and you know how how does the view manifest in the work that we do um and i guess and it is related to the answer to the second question um and maybe i start there so um my my, my childhood friend a really close friend of mine uh had a um fell you know he fell from a cliff you know, 30 meters which is kind of the you know there's a motif in zen buddhism about that kind of thing happening. Um, mm -hmm. And so at that time, but it literally he, happened to him, literally, literally happened and he fell and his body was crushed and he uh, was uh, dying, you know, watching himself die and um, had an out of body experience. Um, what might be characterized as a near death experience and has been, um, and that sort of has informed certain things for him after that point. And that was when I was in my first retreat. And I remember that happening in 2008 or something. Um, and, um, you know, I really encourage, and he and I were, were close and I really was always trying to collaborate, like do something together mm. uh, rather than just, you know, sort of be our goofy selves, but really create something um, beautiful and beneficial. Um, and it's always been, we, we've never really been able to find it. And uh, he's been painting some Tara murals uh, and, and he completed one in, in Portugal. And I went there to do the consecration and we were talking and I said, uh, he's talking about his near death experience. We were talking about deity yoga uh, and I was saying, so, so what, you know, what was your experience at that moment when you were approaching death? And he said, that, you know, I, I really felt a sense of ease um, and, and peace about what was happening. And then, and then he said, you know, I was watching my body in the form of energy, uh, just as an energetic manifestation, and particularly the heart center, um, pulsing with my breath, 
And that pulsation was diminishing as my life force was leaving. Mm-hmm. And so then I asked, you know, well, what, uh, what do you think would happen after that light uh, went away and disappeared? And so this is a question about you know, Dharmakaya, basically, you know, this aspect of the part of Dharmata dying and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's, that's the, that's the question. Right. And so then I said, you know, you should really put this forward. Like you should talk about this experience with people. You should make this, you know, something that's really central to mm-hmm. what you're, everything that you're doing, because it's, it's so potent. And, you know, then that was, that was sort of a seed. And then later I jumped on to the Anuma um, crew uh, and they asked me to help them develop a contemplative experience. And so he had previously developed the environment, which is, um, and this is relative to your first question, the normal virtual reality aims to be representational. In other words, Mm -hmm. it's like there's a desk and wall, a floor, your body is, has an avatar. You, you can choose, you know, what, image you want to project to others. Um, and there's a sense of, uh, it being real in some way. Yeah. Um, but well, the, the, human, could we just say like human maybe? Or? Yeah. Like, well, well, relatable, like it's something yeah. familiar and that subscribes to our preconce- preconceptions about what is up and down, left and right, in and out, all that stuff, me that and you, sense. all of that. Yeah. Um, but the Enuma environment is radically different because it was it was developed out of his near-death experience where mm. instead of avatars, we manifest as energetic clouds with a, mm. with a luminescent heart center. So there's no, there's no detail about a person. And instead of a representational environment, it's just open space. Um, mm. Sometimes there's a starscape uh, sometimes there's a suggestion of a floor just so people have a, aren't, aren't having vertigo. And sometimes that floor goes away and you're just in space without a ground. Um, and so what what happens just by means of the aesthetic is that people feel just going into the environment uh, free in some sense. Mm. And there, uh, there's a freedom in terms of not being obstructed or burdened by the heaviness of habitual grasping to phenomena that is relaxed and there's a sense of ease. And then there's not being burdened by my self-image because it's a a multi-person experience. Everyone is appearing in the same way. And even though there is that anonymity, there is for some reason, paradoxically, deeper intimacy. Um, mm. um, and so what happens when you get in there is you open up uh, and that's mm. just as a, a function of the the design aesthetic. Uh, and that is, uh, I, I credit that to, to my friend Dave Glowacki's experience and his vision in creating that. So then I came into that and said, okay, what, did, what can we do here? What is, uh, how do we make, it's a sadhana basically, um, you know, yeah. we, we don't, I don't have a license to write a sadhana, you know, about of this or that deity or a guru yoga or whatever, you know, I, I could do maybe, that, but it would be kind of suspect. We'll start appearing. As yeah. A, and terima, I could like pull something out of some <laughs> crevice um, uh, or just pull it out of my ass or whatever, but you know, it's not, it, it's suspect. Right. Um, but here it was like, Oh wait, this is a different place. And there's different rules. And maybe if we're, if we are 
know, based in the view and a good motivation, we can create what is has the feel of uh, of Adriana Sadna. Not mm. no, not not explicitly, but yeah, uh, in, in in a suggestive way. Namely, my body is pure. Um, yeah. My body is not solid. Uh, my body is my Buddha nature radiating. Your body mm. is also your Buddha nature radiating. How do we celebrate that? How do we unfold what is um, limiting that or obscuring that through uh, a choreographed guided meditation? Yeah. And so, the, so here we have. Normally, we are in a, a bubble of our own virtual reality. You know, we our our habits are our world. Me and my world is completely conditioned by habit. Now, virtual reality is a bubble within that bubble. Mm-hmm. So it's either double trouble. Because now you have, you know, you have to work yourself out of uh, to an extra layer of delusion, dualistic situation, uh, or because it's virtual and not real, it's kind of a it's a liminal experience. It's a little bit left mm-hmm. of center. So now you can have perspective on your reality habit and say, okay, I'm I'm making this up in some way. I'm this is my projection in some way. Um, what now if I go into a virtual environment how do i bring that perspective here coming in and and out of it how do i work with phenomena and experiences within that environment so that they erase themselves uh, Mm -hmm. in different ways so that they dissolve so that whatever residual grasping there might be is felt and then released Um, how do we continually use moments uh, of dissolution and the integration of prana and mind you know in different ways of, of moving to point to um what is beyond habit and so the we developed this this experience called ripple and uh a lot of it uses the dynamics of tonglen um and also aspects of uh of osa of clear light yoga um and uh works with that um and so that you know, the answer to your second question is, it's just my friend. He's a researcher. He's got a lab. He's into VR and I love him and want to collaborate with him um, to make something cool and beneficial. Um, the answer to the first question is, you know, how, given that VR is virtual and we're already in virtual reality, how can we uh, work ourselves out of that situation to, you know, a genuine insight? And yeah. and and it's it has, uh, it works. Now, for everyone, there yep. is, you know, you have to be in a particular position. But yet, for most people, almost everyone, they come out of it with benefit, uh, even if it's just feeling more calm, mm. um, just feeling more at peace, more able to connect with others. Um, but yet, some people actually uh, have a taste of uh, naked awareness, mm-hmm. which is really amazing. Um, and so, you know, this kind of Dharma art project uh, is uh, I have confidence in it, you know, in some way. Yeah. Um, so then, then that has led, given that a lot of these themes are around death, we pivoted completely to uh, designing experiences for end of life care. And mm. that's kind of where we're going after this point. And, and we've developed a number of new experiences on those lines. Yeah, so that's where you. a new mess at now. Awesome. Yeah, I want to ask you about that in a minute, um, about mm-hmm. the the kind of connection to death and dying and, and end of life care. Um, you know, just if it's okay with you, Lama Karma, um, just for the listeners out there on YouTube or Spotify or iTunes, um, just say something because because I don't want to assume everybody 
you know, is up to speed with, uh, you know, the, the deeper, what I call the deeper end of Buddhism. And so, you know, what, what you're naming in, in, in a way is, is, um, you know, how, how you're working with Enuma and you're working with students and clients who come through Enuma, um, to, to release self-grasping, which in Buddhism is, is really the main afflictive emotion. It's the main, what we would call the root cause of suffering, um, is, is the belief, the grasping to, and the proliferation of, um, like an independent self, you know, to, to put it in one way, there's many ways we can put it. Or sometimes I say, uh, um, like, uh, ego reification or when there's the sense of, uh, uh, an enclosure where we're enclosed in. But when we actually start to question that, you know, just anyone, you don't have to be a Buddhist, you don't have to be a meditator. If you just question, where is that? It's very difficult to find. So it brings into question, well, what is the self? And so, a primary aspect of, of Buddhism is looking into that through many different means, through analytical meditation, through resting meditation, through all kinds of different practices. But that is the fundamental principle um, of what the Buddha taught um, that is liberative, that liberates us from uh, suffering and its causes. So, uh, sorry, just a little, you know, just wanted to, to kind of connect those no, two yeah. together. That's, 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 that's wonderful. Yeah, because you're, you're, you're really pointing that out, that for you, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm also really curious about your personal experience, um, uh, you know, in the sense like you're watching other people, you, you name naked awareness. Also, some of the audience listening might not know what naked awareness is. This is related to the um, the more tantric or, or Vajrayana forms of, of realizing what I just described or recognizing what I just described, that we aren't this fixated, you know, uh, uh, center of self that actually it's mm -hmm. much more it's much more of a multiplicity. So I'm, I'm curious, like, if you have more to say about that, just based on what I was just saying, or also, you know, your personal experience with it as a longtime meditator. Um, uh, and then, and, and I'd like to hear more about kind of the clear light experience, you know, how you're differentiating between, you know, these experiences of, um, I think you named, there's like the, the more of the Tonglen kind of work, which is giving and taking practice in, in Tibetan Buddhism, and then uh, the clear, clear light, working with clear light yoga. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, there's a lot there. Okay, so sorry, maybe too many um, questions. <laughs> no, the, this this first aspect of uh, of grasping, you know, in Tibetan we say zinpa, uh, and it's it's you know dagzin self grasping, but also nidzin uh, grasping to two, uh, that and noticing that when when there is self grasping, there is a correlative grasping to reality, reality habit, uh, the things outside of that self that then appear. Um, and to the extent that there is grasping uh, to self, there will be solidity of objects. And conversely, when self-grasping is released, phenomena are able to, to play, to be more humorous, dynamic, uh, open, creative, and so forth. And so there's a dynamic yeah. there where grasping increases solidity. It also increases polarity. And so the more, more self-grasping there is, the more the sense that what is objective is out there over there uh mm. different from the the self that grasps um and so these dynamics that we can we can trace through you know different aspects of buddhist teaching come into uh focus very directly in 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 vr where you know dualistic experience it has these qualities of you know our my grasping creates the sense of separation and solidity and not only that, but it, it then I, it, my experience is representational. I'm living through the filter of the um, 
preconceptions I have about the world. I'm looking at the world through a map rather than the territory itself. That map is conditioned by my habits, my ideas, uh, and it's conceptual. It's a conceptual map. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's a Conversely, uh, when self-grasping uh, is in some way released, that representational aspect uh, starts to become more transparent to the actual terrain uh, and the solidity dissolves and the estrangement, the separation becomes more intimate. So you know, mm-hmm. on one hand, we have representation, you know, solidity, estrangement, on the other hand, we have, instead of representation, immediacy. Um, uh, and that immediacy is also direct. You know, the, the dualistic aspect is there and less solid as well. Mm-hmm. And there's another aspect you could talk about embodiment. And then the more the yeah. more we are living in our head, the more we are living in representation in the map. The more we are living in, you can say the body, it's tricky, but I, you know, as a, as a beginning, we just talk about embodied awareness, which is non-conceptual and is immediate and is felt, doesn't get involved in all of these habits. So this in the VR environment is directly, it, it, it offers a really direct perspective on what is good VR and what is not. If what you're doing is disembodied, uh, habitual, uh, dualistic, uh, and so forth, you're, you know, you're creating the for the causes of samsara. If, however, if you are able to stay embodied uh, and able to explore intimacy and connection, then you know, then it, there's a there's a potential for for going beyond that. Yeah. Um, so my experience, uh, my experience mainly is through the experience of others. Uh, mm. I'm not going to go in there now and uh, practice. Yeah. It's not, and I wouldn't. I don't. I wouldn't uh, propose that what we've developed is a substitute for practice. Mm. It is something that isn't maybe an intervention, uh, something that can enhance one's practice, uh, and especially the best case, best use cases that I've seen is when we are using these in conjunction with a, an in-person retreat, where mm. we do a few of these experiences, but the, those are contained within uh, uh, meditations, contemplations, and uh, relational practices, where then this gives um, you know a, a singular moment that really opens things up. Yeah. And so, but for me, seeing other people open in that way is really rewarding, uh, and that's that hasn't faded. Um, if you're practicing, I think there's a plateau at a certain point where mm-hmm. the habitual mind is just going to start doing what it does in spite of all of our efforts to the contrary, you know, mind is just going to start making a habit out of everything. And then you mean like, like like any kind of, sorry, you mean like any kind of practice, like just sitting on the cushion and meditating every day? No, I mean in VR, but that's true too. Yeah. I mean, that's true too. And, and you know, the methods of Dharma are skillful to the extent that they uh, resist that and that they, 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 they uh, erase themselves. And so you can't get addicted to it. You can't become identified with this sadhana that I do, or this yogic practice or this guru that I'm devoted to. You know, if the guru is doing his job, she (laughs) or he is going to erase that, you know, at a certain point and leave you like, 
now what kind of thing um same yeah, with mean, any kind of sadhana or whatever yeah just to point out briefly i mean to, to me this is the key point of like when we're using anything as a skillful means it has to do that you know i mean that has to be part of the premise of of us watching how this is interacting with ourselves and others is like is it actually reducing ego clinging or is it just creating another kind of materialism because like you just pointed out i think i just want to emphasize that um buddhist practice meditation practice just on its own as it is can be a form of materialism if we're if we don't understand why we're using it and we're not using it for that reason you know that's why intention view is, is so important i think you know at some point i mean i mean it's one thing when we're new to meditation we might not know you know heads from tails and that's fine but at some point you know we're going to want to mature and that's when i think this becomes so applicable so so that's that's really heartening to sort of see that you guys are are really uh you know it sounds like you're doing a lot of um uh there's a lot of research involved you know there's a lot of trial and error and just seeing like is it you know when how do we make this 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 method through vr um not you know fall into spiritual materialism or any kind of materialism for that matter yeah yeah and and acknowledging that it's actually inevitable you know the ego mm -hmm. is what is doing the spiritual path and so all along the way, the ego is going to be co-opting the process uh, inevitably, because if it weren't doing that, there would be no reason to be on a path. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so it's it's constantly co-opting the process. But the question is, is there refinement of that? You know, and, and Sun Tzu Chancellor Rinpoche often quotes you know Longchenpa about how the methods we're using should be like a, a whetstone and a blade. Mm. That when you're when you're sharpening the blade on a wet, whetstone, the 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 sharpness of that, the which is the wisdom, you know, is something that occurs through mutual exhaustion. The mm. blade yeah. is rubbing itself away, the whetstone is being rubbed away, and eventually they exhaust themselves. Yeah. Uh, and if that is your if that is the quality of the method that you're using, then it's more of a fail-safe. It doesn't mean yeah. that you're not you're going to spin off in some weird way anyway, because you still have an ego. Right? But <laughs> until that point, um, you know that's a that's a, a hallmark of a wisdom method, right? And that's something yeah, that we yeah. should be uh, be looking out for. Yeah, I love that distinction. I love that quote from some sort. Can't say um, wonderful. Yeah. So so I was I was thinking. Um, so. So it sounds like to me, like your experience, I mean, actually, one thing I'm, I'm noticing through our conversation is that um, actually, it sounds like like the way you guys set up the design of the VR experience in, in, in Enuma so far, at least with Ripple, it sounds like that that experience, um, it would be very, it would be like kind of boring alone. You know, like the it, it's almost set up to to foster connection. Is what it sounds like. Yeah. No, yeah, it, it, it is interpersonal and not and then part of what you were asking about how it moves from Tonglen to uh, yeah. clear light yoga, that uh, the interpersonal element is uh, integral to that. Um, you know, you basically, there's different ways of practicing in Ripple. Sometimes you're alone and just uh, encountering the vastness of space uh, on your own and working with whatever that might bring up. Uh, sometimes you are in a group uh, working with... Uh, basically praying for one another as a, as a sacred circle. Mm -hmm. uh, and then at a certain point coming to union with the whole group, everyone uh, overlaps and inhabits the same energetic space. 
Uh, and then there's a differentiation again. And then at different points, you're working in pairs. Mm. And as a prelude to uh, the, the dissolution sequence, you, you're, you're exchanging your heart light with uh, another and an, an other. Um, and that light is uh, moving in and out of you. And both of you are practicing at the same time. So you're developing a relationship with that. And there is an, there's an aspect of sacred union that's occurring. And maybe many people have that either resistance to it, which is also good to feel or yeah. openness to it. Um, and then you sit down uh, facing one another and you basically uh, hold space for the other as they die, mm. um, as wow. they, as they pass away. And since you can't see yourself, um, the gift of the awareness of your own death process is given to you through the presence of the other. Mm. So you're seeing them pass away at the same time you are. And mm. much as is the case with you know, uh, care for the dying, oftentimes the caretaker will feel blessed by the gift that the dying person uh, can offer, and especially when someone has reached full acceptance of, of their mortality, then their, their passing uh, releases a tremendous amount of blessing. Yeah. Uh, and that witnessing that is to receive that blessing. And so there's something there about that sacred um, uh, dialogue that's happening. Sorry to interrupt you. What do you think that's about? Just just because I don't want, I'll, I'll end up forgetting. It Why is there a blessing? Well, like, yeah, I've always. I mean, I mean, I have some ideas about that. I, I you know, it's just conjecture. But yeah, why is there a blessing? Because it, it it doesn't. It seems to be a phenomena that doesn't. And now we're talking about real dying. We're not talking about virtual reality. Now we're actually mm. talking about like human di- human mm. death and dying. Now, you know, w- with the passing of a great realized master, uh, you know, there's we could probably guess why, but you know, that seems to also happen sometimes around people who weren't necessarily like, you know, very realized meditators. So what, do you have any ideas around that? And then, and then, you know, we can go back to the VR thing, but. Yeah. Well, I mean, if conversely, if someone is uh, resisting death and fearing it, their passing creates chaos, you know, it's Mm. not, it's, it's that moment can then create chaos for them and whatever's happening after that point. For everyone around them, it can be very uncomfortable and dreadful, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think there's a there's kind of a, a spectrum there where you know if if you've reached a state of at least acceptance, where you have uh, deep fundamental peace with what is the unknown, you know, which from Buddhist standpoint is reality of awareness beyond all habit and grasping. Mm-hmm. You know, when when you let go of everything. If someone, or, or going to God or whatever, someone, or, or into the void, you know, even if you are an agnostic, uh, or even, you know, believing that maybe nothing particular is going to happen to your continuum after you die, but you're fundamentally at peace with that in an open-hearted way that's connecting you with everything, mm. there's still there's still some beauty in that, I think. Um, yep. And so I think what happens is that when someone... Uh, moves into that with with that kind of peace uh it's communicated and people and people feel it because there's a release of some deep level of of uh of grasping that happens at the moment of death and that unlocks uh an energy you might say for lack of a better word but then better to think of it well okay so 
not only am I at peace, but may my death be a gift to everyone around me. May my death be a gift to all sentient beings. May my death be a gift to all sentient beings, past, present, and future. And you just expand bodhicitta to its utmost, and then you die. Um, what happens then? Um, no. Or you have actually realized that motivation and integrated it with every fiber of your being as a, as a true master, and then you die. What happens then? So I think there's a spectrum there of, of, of that, of, you know, what, what can be transmitted. Yeah. I've been talking about, uh, in my Dharma talks lately, and just, just with one-on-one mentees, I've been talking a lot about awareness as an app, like, like an aperture and a camera, you know, that can, that can allow less or more light. And, you know, I think that's a, a nice analogy towards what you were just describing. It's like, you know, depending on our connection to non-dual awareness or, or naked awareness, like like from a Buddhist perspective, just for some of you out there who are listening and, and, and don't know or haven't studied Vajrayana Buddhism much, um, the, the the one of the premises of Vajrayana Buddhism is that at the time of the death, it's like just as a shell uh, being cracked open, our, our aggregate, the aggregates of our form, you know, cease to function. Uh, and and then our inner energies also sort of uh, break open, and it's almost like a. You can imagine, you know, this sounds very morbid or dark, you know, if we don't have uh, the perspective that that underneath that egg is. You, you can imagine this 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 extremely pure, you know, light, and it's not literal light, but we often use that term in in, in Tibetan. They often use terms that refer to light um, as an analogy, and so. You know, when when this happens at the time of death, everyone, you know, no matter if they're a meditation master or, you know, uh, frankly, like, a, you know, could be even just a really shitty person. We, we all experience a, a very brief moment of this pure nature of mind. This is coming from the Vajrayana perspective in Buddhism. Now, not many people recognize that at the time of death, right? So so for, for people like Lama Karma and I, you know, part of our motivation for Dharma practice in life is to be able to, I think so, I don't want to speak for you, but, you know, it is to, to, to train in it in, in life as best we can. So we can, we can rest in that and, and expand that. So, you know, going back to that aperture, you know, expand that at the time of death. So, so going back to that aperture analogy, it's almost like kind of what you're saying. It's like a spectrum. So, so, you know, in that sense of like everybody's, you know, connecting with it, uh, but some are able to expand that more, or, or we could say like, allow it to be more expansive uh, and rest in that expansiveness maybe right yeah. yeah yeah um so 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 you, you were talking about tonglen and we we didn't define tonglen too too much and i'm just just looking at the time here uh because actually i think we're good because i'd like to i'd like to kind of mostly talk about you know a little bit more into death and dying and how anuma works with that um, but it sounds like you, you, what, what's happening is some kind of virtual reality Tonglen with the design you described already. And then, and then that's shifting into a clear light yoga as the person dies. So I'd, I'd love to hear, maybe you can in- introduce some of our listeners to kind of like a very brief synopsis of what Tonglen is from the traditional perspective and maybe a brief synopsis of what clear light yoga is. And then maybe describe how that connects to Anima. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, your video froze for me, but that, it might not be a problem. Oh, um, you're fine, yeah. Uh, so with Tonglen, in the traditional context, you know, there's many, there's many different ways of practicing it. You know, there can be, you know, there's a there's a way of practicing it that is uh, very much in line with the Mahayana. In other words, exchanging oneself for another. 
inviting their uh, adversity, their suffering uh, into oneself as a way of uh, counteracting self-grasping, self-cherishing, and then offering one's uh, one's best qualities to that other person, inverting the normal habit of keeping what's best and giving what's less. Um, and so there's a there's a method of doing that. Uh, there's a more tantric method of doing that. Um, but there's also a way of doing that uh, in terms of uh, awareness, where it's not so much about uh, an, another, an object, even if we are in the presence of another and we're practicing in this more uh, awareness-based way. It's just about accepting and welcoming the totality of what is and feeling maybe our resistance to being that vulnerable, breathing it in. And then as we breathe out, just offering, releasing, opening. And so it's a practice of mutual opening. We're opening to what is around us and we're opening what is usually withheld and offering it panoramically. And it's a way of more working on the level of duality, that sense of separation between self and other opening through that. Um, and so that type of uh, exchange, uh, and this is something that comes primarily through my relationship with Lama Denny Rinpoche in France and the open mindfulness program that he developed uh, was a major influence for this. Um, so we transpose that into the VR environment, mm-hmm. along with uh, so the, the previous Kalu Rinpoche developed a cycle of yoga called Nangpa Yoga, which was a, a, an accessible way to practice the Tibetan yogas, which are generally um, take a lot of preparation and are not for everybody. Um, and he developed a almost secular, in some ways, uh, form of yoga. And in that, he developed a motion that goes with that type of offering where you open the arms and the feet, actually you're sitting and you open your legs and arms uh, and then you bring your arms back as you're receiving. And I use that as an inspiration for what we're talking about before, how to make mind manifest in the environment. And we could Mm -hmm. use biofeedback sensors, whatever, but the easiest way to do it is just to move the body in accord with a mental disposition moving our body outward as we're offering and bringing our hands and arms in as we're receiving. And as we do that, uh, the heart energy, we see our own heart energy go out into space and then return again. And there's different things that happen. Sometimes that heart energy goes out into space and just dissolves. Mm. And then we rest in that dissolution with no breath. And then we breathe in. And we can also practice dissolving with the out-breath, uh, you know, something that's taught that's in the Dzogchen tradition. Um, but that's the, the kind of spirit of it. So there's there's an aspect of going beyond you know, that sense of boundary normally and working with yeah. that, and also of dissolution. And that prepares us for what I was saying before about this, this moment of holding space for the dissolution of the other, uh, in which we are also contemplating our own dissolution where we sit down and uh, and this is this is part of uh, clear light yoga, uh, which is a training for the deep sleep state, so bringing luminosity into the, the stage of our sleep, of our night, where there's no content, um, there's no uh, movement of mind. And typically we're just ignorant and unconscious. Mm. 
Um, but there's a yoga for transforming that into uh, awareness. So that's called clear light. And that that is also a preparation for the time of death when, as you said before, the physical aggregates dissolve, the subtle body uh, dissolves, uh, and consciousness then dissolves. And what we're left with is who knows what we might call it, but <laughs> there's nothing that you can say about it. It has no attributes. Um, preparing for but that. But it's not nothing. Yeah, but it's not nothing, it's right. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. But it's not, it's not nothing. And if we recognize it, it is actually um, a refulgent uh, luminosity uh, with no subject or object. And so that clear light yoga that we train in for the deep sleep state has uh, a lot of relevance for the time of death when we lose all reference points. What remains, if we can, like you were saying before, if we can recognize that, uh, that's very beneficial. So um, at this moment of dissolution, we watch the other person's light throbbing and fading, and there's a way of breathing and going that, and then it dissolves, much like in a, a completion stage, uh, sadhana, the dissolution mm -hmm. into a drop of light, and then that just vanishes. And at that moment, there's a reflection on what remains. You know, what what is that? It's not nothing. How do we? You know, just different instructions that I give at that point. Yeah. Uh, and then it comes back, and it comes and goes. And at this point, then it's a vipassana practice that has to do with the vipassana meaning insight, uh, yeah. looking at what. So things arise, and things disappear what is the continuity between things happening and dissolving? Um, how do we start to point out uh, something that's beneath that or within that, mm -hmm. that aspect of continuity? And so then there's instructions for Vipassana at that point uh, to help people to uh, integrate the movements of mind, mm -hmm. um, manifestation and dissolution. Uh, and then, and then out of that, then our bodies manifest, everybody's back, and the group mm -hmm. is there, and then we come together, and then that's an opportunity for for sharing and exchange. Beautiful! Wow, I felt like I just went through that a little bit just hearing you talk. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like imagining it. I'm doing the VR in my mind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I could picture it. Um, beautiful, and and like you said, it sounds like there's a lot of. I mean, obviously, it's in a group, so so there's there's connection, and you've already done a lot of activities to make you know that connection stronger it sounds like but but he, but you know there's how do you say it um okay well maybe i'll shift here um so so with that then how are you guys uh how are you working with death and dying because you, you you know you, you told me that a little bit briefly when we were chatting before this that um that you're that you're thinking of anuma also as a way to help uh people who are actually dying you know, mm -hmm. as a way to use VR. I mean, which sounds like, because we were talking about earlier about like, well, how do we use technology in a healthy way? I mean, we're talking a lot about, you know, traditional Buddha Dharma here, especially Vajrayana Buddhism. Um, but but it sounds like part of the mission is is just to just help people to live and die in a healthier way through through VR. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, so I'm really curious about that. And it, you know, what you just what you just described for us as as Tibetan Buddhist practitioners would be a, a meditation to work with death and dying on it mm -hmm. on a very profound level. Right. Um, but, but anything else you want to share around that? Is there other things 
kind of yeah well, that's the whole, the whole next chapter right and so starting in september we uh developed uh, three new experiences that are uh you no know, comparable in terms of complexity to ripple choreography scripting music the whole thing uh yeah. programming uh three new experiences that run about 35 to 45 minutes um and developing that with the intention of it being program that uh, the primary participant, someone who has received a terminal diagnosis, uh, would invite whoever they want, the, their loved ones, people that they want to share this with. Um, and primarily uh, the benefit, and we've, we've, we've done many sessions already and we're continuing to gather data on this, but the, the primary benefit is just the, the way that it allows families maybe or, or, or loved ones to to be vulnerable with one another and address the fact that that their loved one is dying and for that loved one to be uh, regarded uh, it's not something that you need to skirt around anymore like here's a safe space where i can actually share how i'm feeling you can share how you're feeling and it's held in a context that is acknowledging mortality Um, and it's not it's not trying to get around it in any way um it's not throwing in your face either and there's a there's a um you know a kind of a degree to which we we actually go there if the person wants that and is ready for that or we we don't and just yeah. allow that arc to to do the work it does on its own um and so we we ran uh, a program with eight women all of which uh have terminal diagnosis who were a cohort uh, and they ran through it and and all of them uh, were so uh, touched by it that they decided to take our offer of doing these experiences uh, on their own with people that they would select. And so yeah. now we're in the midst of doing that. Um, and then we've also been running sessions with just um, incidental individuals who uh, want to have uh, that service. And, and it's been, it's been really amazing. Um, and you no, know, there's there's so much to say about how we designed it and the structure of it. But you might say that there's there's a whole the first experience is really about catharsis, doing a life review, going through aspects of our biography where, um, as a child, as an infant, as an adolescent, whatever it might be, where we needed love, we needed support, we needed compassion. And really mm-hmm. giving it's the practice of self-compassion, basically, in order to to uh, you know redeem the ghosts and bring back the pieces of ourselves that are not integrated. Um, and so there's a whole experience of that. And the second experience, and that, that's called life. And the second experience is called boundless. And this is uh, similar to Ripple in some ways. It's a way of uh, creating an out-of-body experience that ends in a dissolution. It gives themes of what is it like to let go and rest without reference. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third experience is called life uh, offering. Mm-hmm. And this is a way of um, there's a, a kind of a central light and, and people go into it and publicly uh, held in the, in the presence of others, let go of whatever might be burdening them and call. And then later on calling in blessing uh, and assistance and through the presence of the group, uh, their, their, their kind, loving attention, then everyone has this experience of, um, of blessing, basically. Uh, and, and then it ends with a, a sequence of reflecting on what gift uh, 
in, in ideally, if the primary participant is, is open to it, it's a way of honoring each person uh, reflects on what is what is the quality that this uh, dying person has that I want to steward, mm. that I want that I'm committed to developing more fully in myself mm. uh, and uh, going forward in life. Uh, giving that, that the dying person a sense that they are in some way living on through their own virtues that they then appreciate um, being being mirrored uh, to them by the others, mm-hmm. uh, and then and then um, then the primary participant reflecting on, like we talked about before, what is a gift that they want to give to the world? You know, normally dying people feel like everything's being taken away from them. Uh, and that they have nothing to give. But how then is this an opportunity to recontextualize that as you know, their condition is actually an opportunity in some way without yeah. sugarcoating it? You know, and, and by this point, there's there's such an intimacy with the group that it's very genuine um, and it's very uh, emotional generally. Yeah. So um, that's the kind of arc of things. And then between there's uh, calls and inter- opportunities for integration and so forth. Wow. That sounds, that sounds not only, I mean, obviously really powerful, uh, but amazing, like an amazing service. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much wonderful work going on around death and dying now. Um, just cause it's, it's, I think a, a becoming at least a partial cult- cultural recognition of like how much we ignore and suppress, suppress it. And that it actually just makes it worse. It doesn't make mm-hmm. people die better, more happy, it doesn't help family, you know, when, when they've lost someone, uh, I lost my mom at a young age, you know, when I was, when I was 16 and, um, yeah, I can relate to a lot of this. I mean, I had to do work like this on my own, you know, over time, not exactly that, but I didn't have that time with her, you know, mm-hmm. to do this mm-hmm. when, and I would have really appreciated something like this. I mean, that's mm-hmm. pretty amazing. Cause, cause yeah, it sounds like it's like, I mean, f- my experience with my, my mom's death, for instance, was, it was, it was, it's continued to be beneficial for me, you know, and, and mostly because, um, in Buddhism, you know, and, and we, we center it as something to actively think about. We center it as, you know, life is only life in relation to death. Hmm. And so, so for me, it's been kind of one of the, you know, an experience of the Buddhist path, giving me that gift of being able to relate to her and her death and her life in this context of my life and my death and so it sounds so beautiful like you're, you're you're offering that to people in a in an experience where they're not necessarily they don't you know they're not con- they don't have contact with the buddhist path or or you know they're they're not buddhist or they're not you know whatever they, they could be anything so that's that's pretty yeah. awesome yeah and that's the effort to not uh, uh have anyone be turned off because of a particular uh, worldview or metaphysic, you know, that, and being able to have a full spectrum of uh, beneficial things to do and contemplate that uh, that are not secular, uh, that are you know sacred, but are yeah. also not uh, limited because they're coming from a particular uh, tradition or worldview. And so, you know, if there is a worldview, that it is continuity, you know, that that this is not the end in some way, and that we are. It's not. It's not explicitly made clear, but that is that is behind everything. Um, so at least that. But um, that yeah, that that is this is really important to be able to meet everyone where they're at. Um, and then you know, if there are mind teachings that are typically 
reserved for people who are practitioners and are ready for them. In this case, it's just something that sort of blows over. Um, yeah. And and it's not, it, if, if you get it, amazing. If you don't get it, it's not going to affect the experience at all. And it's not going to detract from the benefit of what you're doing. Um, so at least for me, it was really important to have so, at least one minute uh, at some point in the whole arc of something uh, that is actually talking about the bardo of dharmata, you know, this moment mm -hmm. of death. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you get it and it touches you, that's fine. But even if you don't, you might not even notice it. It's fine. Yeah. No, no problem. Um, and, and I should say also that it's, it's really beneficial for the caretakers as well. So yeah. doctors, hospice workers, um, you know, palliative care, uh, people, this makes their the work that they do so much easier uh, and so much more effective, and it allows them to care. Whereas, um, in a lot of cases, it's not so easy um, mm. to, to really get through. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. That, that I'd love to continue. I mean, I'd love to have another conversation after you've you you know you're obviously testing it, but when you roll it out, you know, because because there is those the, there's those touch points of the dying person, the 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 family and close ones of the dying person, or or the uh, and then the like you said, the caretakers, and mm -hmm. often there's 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 so much complexity uh, mm -hmm. in, between those relationships, and that you're mm -hmm. thinking of all For three sure. is, is quite yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah, family dynamics and like yeah, care dynamics. And it's, a lot of it we can you can just go right under that which is really amazing yeah yeah well my friend the space I, has I, to be held I mean, the space has to be held in a particular way it's not you can't just plug them into this program and let it yeah. run like yeah, the, yeah. It, it, the facility the facilitation is a huge element and without that uh it may not work you might put it that way but, yeah, that's yeah. a good point because I think there's there's been this tendency in popular meditation that like oh yeah just we're just going to make an app for that you know and mm -hmm. in, a, in, a, in a computer program or or probably now AI you know an AI mm -hmm. will run it um, mm -hmm. and and so uh, and what 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 I'm hearing is like actually the VR is just kind of like the mechanism but actually you know because we we started this conversation I was really curious about connection and 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 you know how is technology going to continue to like, does it innately disconnect us or is that just, you know, um, how we use it, right? And we talked about that a little bit earlier, but but it sounds to me like you you guys, because there's that human component, the facilitation all the way through as the primary, mm -hmm. you know, re relational point, um, that, that connection isn't lost. So, so maybe that's kind of, I, I don't know if, we, you know, we have an answer, but I think that is an interesting thing to note that like, Mm -hmm. When technology is when we're we're using it as a means, maybe, but there's facilitation and there's always human a human point of connection, maybe maybe it, it can go in some healthy directions, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And heart yeah. to heart and mind to mind, you know, that, that 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 level of connection is there and is is facilitated by the environment and the and the technology. It yeah. can be. It not it might not be, but if it is, then it may be good. Um but yeah. Yeah, yeah. When when uh, as as Chat GBT and all these other things progress, so we'll come back yeah. and, and have a combo about AI because I'm I'm curious. Uh, I was talking to another meditation teacher friend. We were like, yeah, like what we were like conjecture. You know, we were we were just dreaming. Like, what parts of our work is AI going to replace, and what parts mm -hmm. isn't? 
you know, mm-hmm. isn't it going to be able to replace? <laughs> I think a lot of people are thinking about that right now. Yeah, no, I think we're, we're as meditation teachers, I think we are probably in a better position than most. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think, I think we're, we're a little bit more down the list. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, he, he very optimistically said at least 10 years. So I was like, probably more like two, you know, mm-hmm. like, like the copywriters, they're coming for the copywriters first. And then maybe we're like more like two or but anyways, man, I, I really appreciate this, Lama Karma. This is this is awesome. And and just I'm really inspired by by the work you're doing. Um, you know, just your general Dharma teaching as always and, and through um Anuma. And um, you know, where can people check this out? Um on YouTube, I'll put a link in the description, but but on 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 Spotify and iTunes it won't be there. So just you know, where, where can they check this out more? Yeah, Anuma, Anuma.com. Okay. Um, is the is the website um and and then there's a wonderful uh, article in the mit tech review that came out a few months ago um that talks about uh, some of the studies that we've done um previously or uh, primarily uh, david galaki's lab uh has done uh and that's where the psychedelic element comes in the comparing yeah. comparing the outcomes to outcomes in psychedelic uh, assisted therapy yeah. and mystical experiences and so forth so yeah, that, that was you can look at that mit article it's, it's really good too cool you just reminded me that was one just, thing i wanted to ask about that we didn't get time to like yeah that's a whole wormhole right yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah. but yeah so look, just look up um psychedelics and vr mit and cool. find it. um just anything you, you you know before we jump off anything you want to share in your world or kind of what's up for you no or? just thank you so much this uh, it's always great to be with you and we're geographically further apart uh, now than ever, but uh, hopefully we see each other soon. And um, <laughs> love to have you to Tennessee uh, to to our Dharma Center there um, to do you know whatever, whenever. And yeah, and invite anybody who is listening to connect. Um, uh, open to open to many things. So yeah, thanks, awesome, Scott. man. Thanks, Lama Karma. Really, really appreciate it, man. Okay. Cool. All right. Thanks. See you later. <laughs>